Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest this evening, again, we welcome you. It is always encouraging to have guests with us. It has been a wonderful day. If you would be open your Bibles to Colossians, the first chapter. We will not have slides tonight, and uh, we'll look at a few passages together. So if you will, grab your Bible and open up to Colossians 1. In just a moment, uh, we'll read some verses from there. George Barna, in a book called Revolution that uh, came out in 2005... Uh, really challenged America with some statistics. If you've read this book, I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't agree with all of his summary of those statistics. But yet, what he began to reveal at that time, studies continue to reveal that he probably was correct in the statistics. You see, this is a summary of those. And his opening chapter, he decides to introduce this short book in this way. You see, there's a new type of Christian a new type of disciple today in America. It's a revolutionary disciple. It's a disciple that can't be held back by organized religion. It's the disciple that he chooses to introduce to us the way that disciple may look by telling us the story of David and Michael. And that's chapter 1. David and Michael are both CEOs of mid-level corporations. Both married uh, ladies shortly after college and are still married to them. Both have two daughters. Their wives and their daughters still faithfully attend the church that they're a part of. And not together, but separately, each one ended up leaving their church. You see, they visited other churches trying to find a church that would not hold them back spiritually to find a church that would allow them to develop in all of the skills and abilities that they bring to the table. But yet they were not able to find such a church. And so they met up with each other in their search, and now they meet every Sunday morning at a golf course. And this is what their Sunday morning might sound like if you were golfing with them. David glances over at the mountains and he says, Look there, Michael, doesn't that remind you how awesome the God is that we serve? Have I told you about the latest update on our short-term mission trip that my family and I are taking? Oh, I got to thinking that we could have a greater impact if, if we were able to send down a shipment of new clothes. And so I got to thinking, hey, I've put together a prayer group several years ago in my workplace, and I said to them, would you like to be a part of that? And they gave enough money that we almost have enough already to buy the clothing and to ship it down. I am a little bit short, and Michael laughed. I knew you was going to do it. You always are coming to me, asking me to get involved in your good works. He says, hey, will you help? And Michael laughed and said, just tell me the amount, and I'll give it to you. And then he turns to Michael and says, have you read anything in your, your daily Bible reading this week that has provoked your, thought, your thinking? And Michael says, listen, listen, Dave, you know how much I love God. You know how much I love his word. But with this merger that's going on in the company and with my two children and my wife and all the community responsibilities, I just haven't had time to get into the word of God. And David says, wow, I've read something this week. I was reading in Romans, the 11th chapter, and there's a man that works in our shipping department that I've been meeting with because he's really going through a tough time. His wife and his kids have left him, and Romans 11 really spoke to me this week, and I'm going to sit down this next week, and I'm going to study Romans 11 with him because I believe that that will really transform his life, and definitely that's what he needs. And then Michael says, Dave, I don't see how you do it. 
It's crazy. With everything that's going on in your life, in some way you just continually fit God into your life. And David reaches over and smacks Michael on the back of the head as only a good friend could do. And he said, that's your problem. That's it. I've been telling you for years, that's your problem. You try to fit God in as if he's a piece in life. Michael, I've told you over and over, you put God first in your life. And then you build everything in your life around God. And you won't have to worry about fitting him in. George Barna's summary of these two individuals is this. Michael is a Christian that has fallen away. David is a very devout disciple of Jesus Christ that has found that he can have a much better relationship with God without being held back by a church family. Here's how half of one paragraph of conclusion would read about this particular story. David rarely attends church services. He is typical of a new breed of disciples of Jesus Christ. I want to pause here and remind you, he's basing this off studies. This is what the statistics are telling of people today in America. They are not willing to play religious games, and they aren't interested in being a part of a religious community that is not intentionally and aggressively advancing God's kingdom. They are people who want more of God, much more in their lives, and they are doing whatever it takes to get it, i.e., leaving the church that's holding them back. Friends... This evening, I want to study with you something that is heavy on my heart, something that is breaking my heart, and something that I find myself praying about often because I do not have all the answers to this, but I urge you to be praying about this because if we're going to reach this community in 2009, we must figure out the answer to the problem that we have now. To illustrate that one point further, Here we are now. That was in 2005. Do the statistics still show that? Recently in a book entitled Lost and Found by Lifeway Research, they did many, many, uh, a survey with many, many questions. I want to reveal to you two answers just to see how not only is what Barna was revealing in 2005 still true, but it is probably more true than any of us realized as we entered into this house of worship tonight. This particular survey that divided the response to these questions based on 20-somethings and then 30 and above. I'll give you the answers like that, but there's hardly no difference in the questions that we're looking at here. Number one, I believe I can have a good relationship with God without being involved in a church. Those that agreed are strongly agreed. I can have a good relationship with God without being involved in a church, the 20-somethings, 90%. Let that sink in. Your co-workers, the people you go to school with, your family members that perhaps are not religious, your neighbors that are not religious, if you think that they are looking at you and viewing you having a closer relationship to God than them, you better think again. They do not see the connection that a better relationship with God would have anything to do with the church. Now you say, well, what about those that are 30 and above? Surely the number is going to be much different, 2% different. 88% of those 30 and above believe, strongly agree that 
you do not have to have a relationship with the church family to be close to God. Second question that we'll observe as we begin. People who attend a Christian church are generally more spiritual than those who do not attend a church. Let that question sink in. Who's the most spiritual? Those who attend a church? Those that strongly agreed or slightly, just agreed or strongly agreed that those who attend a church are more spiritual? The 20-something said 39% agree with that and the 30 and above, only 27% agreed with that. Now, I, I know you've got to be careful with statistics. You can take them out of context. But just view this from the other side. Viewing from the other side, either two-thirds or three-fourths of our population believes that you can be more spiritual not going to church than going to church. I spent the first 10 to 15 years of the 20 years I've been in ministry right now believing that one of the greatest things that we could ever offer to anyone is the opportunity to learn of the one true church. I believe with all of my heart, Ephesians, the fourth chapter, and verses four, five, and six, when we see the seven ones, the very first of the ones is that there is one body. And I believe that one of the greatest responsibilities that we had was to go out and to teach people what is that one body. Let's look at the organization of that church that we read about in the New Testament and let's see that she is guided by elders and let's see that she has deacons and let's see that preachers and teachers and every member of 1 Corinthians 12 is important in that body. Let's look at how she was established. Let's go back to Acts, the second chapter. Let's see who she belongs to. She belongs to Jesus Christ. Let's see where she was established. She was established in Jerusalem. Let's see when. It was the Pentecost after the Passover that Jesus was crucified. That should be around 33 AD. We have a place. We have a, a time. We have the founder. We know this church. Don't settle for a denomination. Don't settle for something else. Let's go back to that one true church. Let's see the identity of that church. How was she described? What names or descriptions were given to that church? And let's see how she worshiped. She worshiped in spirit and in truth. What does that look like in the scriptures? And friends, I honestly have to tell you that for most of my preaching, I really thought that that's all we had to do. We have got to help people see this is the Lord's church. And now our culture and our society around us has changed so much that they're going to say, so... I don't care if you're the true church or just another denomination. Why would I want a church? I want to be close to God. Why would I want a church? I want to be spiritual. And maybe religious people have brought this reputation on. I don't believe we're totally to blame. But think with me for just a moment. Let's say that you're one of the ones that's answered this question that you believe that the most spiritual people you know are not a part of a Christian church. How did you draw that conclusion? Was that person at the workplace and they had a co-worker over here that went to church every Sunday and they had a co-worker over here that never goes to church and this co-worker over here lies, this co-worker curses, this co-worker stabs them in the back, but yet on the other hand, this person over here that never goes to church is really a pretty good co-worker and is very thoughtful and considerate of them? And you can multiply that over with neighbors. Is there a neighbor that is between you and a worldly neighbor? 
And if we went to that neighbor in between and we said, hey, which one is the better neighbor? These people that are part of the Mount Juliet Church of Christ or these people on the other side that never attend church anywhere? How many of our neighbors would say, these people that don't go to church anywhere, hands down, they're a better neighbor? I would take them any day of the week over those Christian neighbors. Friends, how much have we brought either as glory or shame to the Lord's church? Why is it that we live in our nation? We're not studying the world right now. We're studying the USA. Why is it that in the USA, by far, the majority of people you and I know believe that there are more spiritual people outside of a religious body than inside? And so as we think about this summer, we'll go to every door in Mount Julia and we will urge people to think about a church. Do you realize what we have in front of us is a challenge. It's not just the idea. We want to tell you about the Lord's church. We have to begin literally by saying, you know, there's something wonderful. There's a purpose. There's a cause. There's a benefit. And tonight... I'd like for us to look at three passages in the lesson yours. And I beg you to be prayerful about this. I beg you to be fervent in your prayers so we can figure out to God's glory how are we going to reach our community that does not believe that the Lord's church is essential. We ask the question tonight, and if you have your Bible in Colossians 1 and 18, we ask the question, is the church optional? Is the church optional? Because that's what we hear, the study, since Barna came out in 2005. It's all optional. Notice, Barna wasn't saying the church is bad. If you're a part of it, you're going to be less spiritual. He's just simply saying there's a lot of good spiritual, revolutionary disciples that haven't been held back by the church. We're seeing the statistics in Lost and Found. and, And they're reporting to us the very same thing. Is the church optional? I want to give you these as, and I don't mean to cheapen this when I use this term, but I want to give you these this evening as talking points. Probably most of us here believe these, but I ask you to file these away in your memory. And when you're, you're having small talk about religion in the workplace, remember these talking points. Remember what the truth is in the scriptures so that we can love and hold up the church that belongs to our Lord Jesus. Number one, is the church optional? Not if you love Jesus. Look at Colossians, the first chapter in verse 18. And he, talking about Jesus Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Preeminence is first in rank, first in importance. Jesus Christ is first and foremost. But, but at the beginning of that verse, he used a different analogy. He says he is the head, like the head of the body. And so he identifies Christ as the head and who's the body? The church. Is the church optional? Only if we were going to mutilate Jesus. Only if we're going to decapitate Jesus. Is the church optional? If you love Jesus, you have to love the church. The church is the body of Christ. In Acts the 20th chapter and 28, when Paul was talking to the elders there, urging them to take care of the church, what is he going to remind them to urge them to protect and to feed and to keep the wolves out of the church? Notice in Acts 20 and 28, there's a closing there. He's talking about the church and he says to shepherd, this is the very end of 28, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. 
If we are going to love Jesus, we have to love the church because Jesus loved the church. He loved the church so much that he died to purchase the church. As a matter of fact, he says his love in very certain terms. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter and 25, when he compares the relationship between Christ and the church, like unto a husband and wife, and he tells husbands to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. Think about it this simple. Someone says, oh, I, I love God. I love Jesus. I want to be spiritual. I want to be a, a revolutionary disciple. I want to grow close to the Lord. But listen, I just don't have much use for a church. Listen, you're saying you don't have use for the body of Jesus? You don't have use for the very organization that Jesus loves? You don't have use for the organization Jesus died to purchase? If I love Jesus, I'm going to love the things Jesus loves. And one of the things that the Scriptures makes loud and clear that He loves is He loves the church. It's not optional. If I love Jesus, I must love the church. Secondly, if you would be turning to 1 Timothy, the third chapter. 1 Timothy, the third chapter. The church is not optional if I love the truth. The church is not optional if I love the truth. If I love Jesus, the church isn't optional. If I love the truth, the church isn't optional. For an example, if we were going to scan down this whole chapter, 1 Timothy 3, the first several verses are the qualification of elders. Notice that's not elders in an individual's life. That's elders in what? The life of the church. And then we read the next few verses and the qualifications of deacons. What's that? In the life of the church. And then he even says, wishing that he could come see them shortly in verse 15. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So now Paul writes to Timothy and he says, listen, I just want to make sure that you know how you ought to behave yourself, how you ought to conduct yourself. Where? In the house of God. What's the house of God? The church. What is the church here? He says the church is the pillar and the ground of truth. If I love the truth, the church is not optional. Why? Because the church is literally the result of following the truth. Think about it. In Acts the second chapter, when those individuals didn't know Jesus, now, and, and think about our society today that says, I want Jesus or I want God, but, but I don't want to be held back by the church. Now think about it. In Acts 2, these individuals did not know Jesus. And so they were taught about Jesus of Nazareth beginning 21 and 22, the man that they crucified, the man God raised from the dead, the man that David prophesied his body would not be corrupted, the man that God raised and elevated him to the right-hand throne of God, and they were witnesses of it. And those people were cut to the heart. They knew that they crucified him, and they wanted Jesus. And they were told what they must do, repent and be baptized. And notice in 41 it says, when they... Gladly received the word, they were baptized. Some 3,000 souls were added to them. Who? What do you mean? They were added to them. All they wanted was Jesus. Why did it say they were added to them? These individuals said, I want Jesus. I'm going to be baptized into Jesus. They were added to them. And you read down the last sentence in the last verse of that chapter. They were added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Friends, the Bible makes it very clear that the result of obeying the truth 
is that individuals are added to the church. In other words, the church, you and I, the church, we're not talking about bricks and mortar. We're not talking about a building. We're talking about the church. The church does what? 1 Timothy 3 and 15, they're grounded on the truth. In other words, it is truth that is our foundation. We would not exist if it were not for truth. But what does a pillar do? We are the pillar and ground of truth. A pillar holds up. You know, if if we go back to the construction that's underway right now, we see that the third floor is being built right now in our new educational wing. You'll see steel pillars that are going up. They are putting huge, heavy bolts and nuts to hold those together. Why? The pillars are so important. That's what holds the, the next floor up. That's what holds eventually the roof up. And what do Christians hold up? The church is grounded on the truth, but it is the pillar the pillar and ground of truth. The church holds up the truth. Nobody in this community is responsible in the eyes of God for sharing the truth with others except the church. Friends, if we don't do it, it's not going to be done. Nobody is responsible to go to your neighbor and teach them the truth. The Lord says, I've given that responsibility to the church. The church is the pillar of truth. The church is the one that God gave the great commission to go out and to teach and to preach the gospel to every creature. You don't read about him saying to some civic organization, I want you to advance the cause of Jesus. You don't read him saying to some corporation, I want you to advance the cause of Jesus. Who does he give that responsibility to? He says it is the church that is the pillar of truth. So someone says, is the church optional? Not if we love the truth. The church is the result of truth, and the church is the advancement of truth. But then finally this evening, and if you will be turning to Matthew, the 16th chapter, the church isn't optional. The church is not optional if we love Jesus. The church is not optional if we love the truth. The church is not optional if we love being saved. Notice what Jesus said here as, as he asked who individuals were saying that he was. And Simon Peter answered in 16. This is Matthew the 16th chapter and verse 16 saying, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then in 18, notice the response here. He says, And I also say to you, you are Peter. And on this rock, that rock is the great confession that, that you're the Son of the living God. Upon this rock, I will build my church. See, this is all the Lord's plan. It's the Lord's doing. It's the Lord's church. He said, I'll build my church. Now notice what's going to happen here. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. This was before Jesus died on the cross. Jesus went to the grave. Can you imagine how Satan and all the powers of hell, all of the powers of the realm of the dead of Hades were no doubt reaching out trying to hold Jesus in the grave. And that's why in Acts the second chapter, Peter said that death could not hold him. In other words, there was a struggle. Hades was trying to hold Jesus in the grave and the Almighty Father was lifting Jesus out of the grave. Death could not hold Him. And now the question is, we have the Hades and and we have the gates of Hades. What's the gates? That's entrance into. On the day of judgment, who's going to pass into those gates and who's going to be elevated above those gates? He says, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of Hades will not rise up and prevail against my church. 
the church is going to be a line of distinction and a line of separation on the day of judgment back to Acts, the second chapter, where all of the saved were added to the church. And so those that hear, well done, now good and faithful servants, going to be a part of the church that rises above the gates of Hades. And those that are not the saved, they are not the church, they won't prevail. Instead, the gates of Hades will prevail over them. Friends, the church is literally a dividing part on the day of judgment where the Lord says, I have a safe haven here. The saved will be here and hell will not rise and take over them. Is the church optional? Not if we love salvation. Is the church optional? Not if we love the truth. Is the church optional? Not if we love Jesus. But friends, we have a society around us that does not know the Scriptures. I don't think that they're really trying to attack a church. I think they're sincerely ignorant for the most part. And what are we doing? What are we doing in our lives to show them? What are we doing in our lives to teach them? What are we doing in our lives to show not only the necessity of the church, but the love that we have for the church? If we were to ask our children and our grandchildren that are young, does your mom or does your daddy love the church? What would their answer be? No, I hear them complain a lot about the church. I don't think they love it. Oh, I hear them say really bad things about church people. I don't think they love it. Or would even our children and grandchildren say without hesitation, hesitation, yes, my family loves the Lord's church. We serve a God who's never had a problem giving us huge tasks. He had no problem asking Noah to build an ark. He had no problem allowing David to stand before Goliath. And I don't think God has any problem asking us to stand before a community where 90% of the people believe they can have a close relationship to God without the church. But with God, we can. Without God, there's no hope. Let's lean on God. Let's give Him all the glory. And for the sake of God and souls, let's make a difference. When we talk about a, a mom's, a single mom's car clinic, why? Because we want a community to see the real picture of the Lord's church. When we talk about a, a loving family that gathers down at a park and, and, and the community can see that family's love for each other, the community can see that family's love for God, why would we do that? One of the best reasons we could do that is to say, look, this is how wonderful the church is. You individually. When you go to work and when you go home as a neighbor, you're saying something about the church. Let's make sure that we're letting people know how wonderful God's church is. If we can help you tonight be what you need to be in the sight of God, Whatever we can do, we would love to help you.
If you're ready to become a Christian, be baptized into Christ, or if you've fallen away and you want to be restored and pray forgiveness, anything that we can do to help you, we would love to do that. And let's leave here realizing that when we leave here, we're not leaving the church. We're the church leaving. And let's go out and glorify God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.